Uh, well, today uh, we're going to be starting a new sermon series called The Great Co-Mission, um, where we're going to be uh, spending um, four weeks uh, talking about the mission uh, that Jesus has entrusted us with uh, as his church. Uh, and to do that, we're going to be breaking down the Great Commission that we find uh, in Matthew chapter 28, uh, kind of piece by piece over the next several weeks, and asking how uh, we are to live out that Great Commission as a church, both in our personal lives uh, and in our life together as uh, the church. Uh, when it comes to the Great Commission that we find in, in Matthew 28, many of us are likely familiar with it. Um, I remember learning it in VBS as a kid, and you know, you've likely encountered it uh, a few points throughout your life as well. Uh, but as a refresher, let's just go ahead and, and read it uh, together. So follow along with me here on the screen. Let's just read this together. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, so that's the Great Commission. Um, and right off the bat, there are a couple of things that we need to get uh, straight about the Great Commission. Uh, first, it's, it's called the Great Commission because it is a command. That's what commission means. It's a command uh, from Jesus to his disciples. All right, so that means that it is, it is not optional. Uh, you know, if we claim to, to be followers of Jesus, uh, it follows that we are going to live out the Great Commission. Um, and second, it's, it's not only a commission, but as our sermon title tells us, it is a co-mission, which means that Jesus calls us to participate in that mission, um, which is to, to usher in the reign of God's kingdom on earth. So the mission itself belongs to Jesus, and he calls us to participate in it. So it's a commission and a co-mission. Mission. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be uh, kind of looking at, at each part of this Great Commission. Um, and this morning, I, I want to start with the very first statement of Jesus uh, that I feel is, is often overlooked, which is all authority in heaven and on earth uh, has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Um, and it's important that we start here because we, we cannot live out the Great Commission unless we understand the implications of that statement from Jesus. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to understand that, that all authority has been given to Jesus, but it's another thing altogether uh, to ask what that means for our lives. Uh, because in order to accept the mission that Jesus has given us, we need to be able to answer something clearly. Who do we answer to? Who do we answer to? Um, you know, answering to authority is, is part and parcel of being a, a member of society. Um, so I, I know that, you know, if I'm in a hurry um, and I decide to go 55 into 35, I will likely have to answer to authority. Uh, kind of a funny story about that. I, at my previous church I served, I served two churches, and uh, the, the first church that I would go preach at in the morning uh, was at, uh, 
8.30 and it was 30 minutes away. And uh, so one morning I was a little late getting out the door. And so I'm, you know, kind of speeding there on, on my way to church trying to get there on time. And I come over a hill and I meet a county cop just as, I mean, there was no chance. He just, he nailed me. I was like, oh no, I'm done for. And so he pulls me over and he goes, uh, sir, it's Sunday morning. Where the heck are you going so fast? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> no, I didn't say that, but I did pull the pastor card. Um, I did pull the pastor card. I was like, officer, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm going to preach. I'm going to be late. And he just kind of looks at me and shakes his head. He's like, slow down, man. And he let me off. It was, it was okay. But, you know, but I have to answer to authority, right? You know, if you speed, um, you know, I, I know that if, if I try to uh, cheat on my taxes and end up getting audited, right, I'm going to have to answer to authority. I know that, that if I tell my wife uh, that I'm going to be home for dinner at 530 and show up at 730 instead uh, without calling to let her know where I am, I am going to have to answer to authority. Can I get an amen from the men in the room? Yeah. Okay, uh, so, so not only do all of us know what it's like to have to answer to authority, but uh, some of us uh, know what it's like to, to have authority. Uh, you know, being that, that today is, is Father's Day, uh, the, the fathers in our midst can probably think of, of many times that your uh, children have challenged your authority. Uh, you know, it's frustrating when you tell your kids to, to do something and they do the exact opposite thing uh, just to see what you'll say or do. Uh, we, we already know that, that we're in for it with Judah. The kid's only a year and a half old, but that kid, I mean, ever since he's been old enough to walk, he does the exact opposite of what you say. You know, you tell him to come here and he runs in the opposite direction. And I know that that's only going to get worse with time, uh, but, you know, I, he's constantly challenging our authority even at uh, a year and a half. Uh, speaking of authority, there's a, there's a story about uh, a former governor of Massachusetts who was running hard for a second term in office, and uh, one day after a, a busy morning chasing votes and, and no lunch, uh, he arrived at a church potluck. It was late in the afternoon, and he was just starving. And so as the governor uh, moved down the serving line, he, he held out his plate to the, the woman serving chicken. Um, and she put a piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line to give them their chicken. And he goes, uh, excuse me, uh, do, you, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the, the woman said, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. Uh, but I'm, I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, I only one to a customer. So the governor was a, a modest and unassuming man, but he decided that this time he was going to throw a little weight around. He's, and he goes, you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. And the woman replied, well, you know who I am? I'm the lady that's in charge of the chicken. And I'm going to give you one piece. Move along, mister. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's true that the answering to authority is, is part of life, but uh, an unfortunate part of the human condition is that oftentimes when we get authority, uh, we, we can sometimes let it go to our heads, Right? Uh, but what we uh, learned from our passage in Philippians 2 this morning uh, is that in the church we're uh, to view power and authority differently uh, than how the rest of the world around us views it. Because while the entire rest of the world around us uh, is concerned with competing for status and rank, the church should be concerned with something altogether different. 
Uh, so here's the, the main thing that, that I want us to grasp this morning, uh, is that we are to imitate Jesus' humility because he is our authority. We're to imitate Jesus' humility because he is our authority. Because there's freedom to be found in humility. When we lay down the pursuit of power and authority and surrender them at the foot of the cross. So let's get out our Bibles and uh, consider how we actually go about doing that this morning. Um, so I invite you to open your Bibles up with me to Philippians chapter 2 if you have them with you, um, or if you want to go on your smart device and check in on Facebook as well while you're at it and let people know you're here. Uh, it's a great way to let people know where you're worshiped uh, and invite them to, to join us. Uh, so uh, I believe that in these 11 verses that Lynn read for us this morning, uh, we can learn uh, four lessons about how we are to live our lives in light of the fact that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Because that truth should shape the way that we live our lives both personally and together as a church. Um, so Paul begins in verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So here, Paul is calling the church in Philippi to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Remember Jesus' summary of the law and the prophets? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the main thing, loving God and, and loving one another. And that's what Paul is telling us to keep at the forefront uh, of our life together as the church. Um, of course, the church in Philippi, and same applies to us. Uh, but unfortunately, one of the things that the Christians are famous for is how much we like to fight, right? Uh, United Methodists are, are not exempt from this, as we've had our own share of drama in our denomination in recent months. Uh, but in, in my experience, when there is drama in the church, uh, nine times out of ten, it's because people are putting their own pursuit for authority and power first, instead of submitting to the authority and power of Jesus. Uh, you know, whether it's an argument about uh, who has the most say on a committee, or who gets to pick what color carpet goes in the sanctuary, or even how many pieces of chicken we serve at the church potluck, right? Uh, church drama is usually born out of power struggles, uh, which leads us to the second lesson that, that we can learn from Paul, which is that we are called to conduct ourselves in love and unity, but we cannot do that as long as we're acting out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, as he puts it in verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So uh, author and, and pastor uh, Kerry Newhoff says this about selfish ambition. He says, There is no end to the sad discontent of making you the mission of your life. I love that saying. I'm going to repeat it. There is no end 
to the sad discontent of making you the mission of your life. And he's right. You know, putting yourself first leads naturally to a lonely existence. You know, if you think about it, if if you live your life for you instead of others and put your wants and needs first, instead of submitting your life to Jesus and serving others, the natural outcome will be that you will find yourself alone, right? And and the the truth that, that Paul is speaking to is that we cannot have a collective life together as a church if everyone is constantly putting themselves first. And so the solution he proposes is that in humility we're to value others above ourselves. To, to not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Remember what Jesus said about finding life in, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. He said, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It sounds kind of backwards. But it's true. There is so much truth in that statement that when we quit living to to please ourselves and start living to please God and serve others, we discover the fulfillment in life that we were probably after in the first place. But the problem with serving yourself is that you can continue to go down that road and and do thing after thing that you think will make you happy and still feel empty. But when you lay down that pursuit and begin to seek after God and serve others, you find that fulfillment that you are seeking in the first place. Which leads us to the third lesson I think we can learn from this passage, which is that we are called to follow the example of Jesus who voluntarily chose to put himself in a place of humility. Paul says in verses 5 through 7, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in, the very na- being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So, not only is today Father's Day, but it's also Trinity Sunday, uh, where we stop to adore the the mystery of the Trinity. Um, The fact that that we worship one God in in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and here, Paul is, is calling attention to the fact that the person of that uh, uh, as a person of the Trinity, Jesus had every right to claim equal status with God the Father, right? Jesus is not inferior uh, to God the Father. And so he had every right to, to claim his status as equal to God the Father and, and engage in some sort of divine power struggle. But instead of that, Jesus chose to humble himself. To, to self-defer uh, to his Father's will and humble himself not only to the point of, of putting on flesh and becoming one of us, but to the point of dying a criminal's death on the cross. And, and it's important to keep in mind that, that Jesus didn't have to do 
any of that. Right? That, that didn't have to be Jesus' destiny. He didn't have to submit himself to that, but he chose to out of surrender to God the Father. And so Paul reminds us of, of that in, in the way that we view the role of humility in our own lives as followers of Jesus, is that we are supposed to follow Jesus' example of humility. And we talked about this a little bit last week as well, but just the, the fact that we oftentimes will have to choose to place ourselves in a place of humility. Because there are things that, that we have or, or that are part of who we are in our lives uh, that, that we wouldn't otherwise have to humble ourselves, that we could rely on those things to assert our power, to assert our status over other people and, and consider ourselves better than other people. But if we're to follow after Jesus, we are to make the choice to humble ourselves, to lay down those things and say, I'm, I'm not going to lean on these things to assert myself over another person, but instead I am going to consider myself, as, as Paul says uh, in verse 5 or verse 6, um, to uh, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus by making ourselves nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And we remember Jesus' words that whoever wants to become first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That Jesus as our example of humility, washed his disciples' feet in the upper room, making Peter very uncomfortable. Because who was Peter to be served by his teacher, who was supposed to be over him? But even in that moment, Jesus taught Peter what humility looks like. And so if we're to model that kind of humility in our lives, we need to choose to humble ourselves. So, so where are the areas that we could otherwise assert our authority and power over other people, especially within the church, but that God is calling, to, calling us to humble ourselves for the sake of serving Jesus and following his example of humility. Paul continues uh, in verse 8, he says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So again, we don't just bow our knee to Jesus as his inferior subjects because he exerted power and authority over us, you know, and came as this mighty king that, that showed all of us uh, meager subjects what real power and authority looks like, and we just bend the knee before him, but, but we bend our knee in worship to Jesus because he lived out what humble submission looks like because he died on a cross for our sins because he served us that is why we humble ourselves before one another and before Jesus and this should determine how we view the role of power and authority in our own lives that should work itself out in not only our personal lives uh, in the way that we relate to other people, but in our life together as a church. As, as we humble ourselves before Jesus, right, instead of, of being concerned about who holds the power or who's more important than who, we are all simply humbling ourselves before Jesus and seeking to follow Him together. And there's unity to be found in that. 
And that's really one of, the, one of Paul's main motivations for, for writing these instructions. And when it came to the Great Commission that Jesus gave his disciples, I think that he reminded them that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him so that they would remember who is in charge. Because if you remember Jesus' disciples, they fought about who was better all the time. Right? They, they fought about who would sit at, at Jesus' right hand. They fought about who was the greatest among them. And every single time, Jesus kind of looked at him and shook his head, and he was like, you guys, you, you don't get it, do you? And then they finally got it. Right? When Jesus went to be with the Father, and when they saw Jesus in his glorified state, they got it. They got who Jesus was. They got who their Lord was. And they got who was worth following and who was in charge. And so Jesus had to remind them when he gave them that great commission, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as long as you are following me, there's going to be unity in that act of following. Because again, drama only happens when we start to get into the who, who's who and who's in charge. Jesus is in charge. And, and that's what we find in, in, our, uh, in the next part of our reading, is that we are to submit our lives to Jesus as our Lord and King. So verses 9 through 11, Therefore God exalted Jesus. So, so here Paul has just told us about Jesus' descent into not only the depths of humanity, but his, his death on a cross. And because of that, God exalted Jesus. Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord is our king is our ruler to the glory of God the Father Jesus is in charge because of Christ's sacrificial humility. The Father exalted Him as Lord and King over all. And that means that our lives belong to Jesus. That means the church belongs to Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus. And when you come to, to faith in Jesus Christ and accept Him as your Lord and Savior, it means that, that you don't only Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, but that you also submit your life to His authority. That's what it means to accept Jesus as your Lord. Jesus is your Savior in the sense that He forgives your sins, but He's your Lord in the sense that He now calls the shots on your life. And that means accepting Christ's call to discipleship that we find in, in Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's why we're called to, to choose humility. Because pride and authority and, and status and power, all those simply just get in the way of us following Jesus together. And so that's why I believe Jesus began his great commission with that statement, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. He was essentially saying to his disciples, guys, don't forget who's in charge. And we need to be reminded of that from time to time as a church as well, that, that you know, he's telling us, church, don't forget who's in charge. 
You know, when I think about some of the denominational drama that we've got going on right now in the United Methodist Church, and, and uh, you know, I'm not going to get into all of it because it's family business, and I don't really feel like talking about it from up here. But, uh, you know, but, but I just, I'm, I'm reminded of that. You know, when I look at some of the, the ugliness uh, that I see in our denomination right now, and the infighting and the politicking and the power struggles and what have you, I'm just reminded it's not our church. And sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that it is, uh, but it's not. It's Jesus's church, and, and we're just called to follow him together. To, to lay aside our wants, our desires, our preferences, our, you know, anything that could get in the way of us following Jesus together and just follow him. It sounds simple, but it's a lot more complicated in real life. Um, but we need that reminder. The church belongs to Jesus, and we're to follow him together. Now, we've been talking about Jesus's authority and about you know, what, what, who's in charge and all that. But here's the crazy part about all of this is that not only is Jesus our authority, but he wants to share his authority with us. He wants to share his authority with us. So if, you're, if you are willing to, to humble yourself and accept Jesus as the authority over your life, he has a mission to share with you, right? So he wasn't just telling this to his disciples to say, hey guys, remember who's in charge. But he was telling them this because he was about to grant them authority. He was about to share the authority that he had with them to go out and carry out his work in the world. So Jesus is willing to, to share that authority with us and we all have a, a part to play in his mission that he gives to us, which is to connect people to him, to help people follow after Jesus. But, but we cannot play a part in that mission unless we first surrender the pursuit of our own status and power and humble ourselves before Jesus. But instead, God calls us to be a church who acknowledges that Jesus is on the throne and simply lets him call the shots as we follow him together. Amen? So, I guess my, my question for us this morning is, as we think about what it means to allow Jesus to have authority over not only our, our personal lives, but, but our life together as the church, is uh, in, in what areas of your life um, is, is Jesus calling you um, to humble yourself and, and follow his example of humility? and submit your life to his authority? Um, and, and in what areas of our collective life as a church uh, is Jesus calling us to do that? To, to humble ourselves before him and follow where he is leading. Uh, because, church, Jesus has great work for us to do. You know, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're already doing we're already about a lot of that great work but i believe he has more great work in store for us to do and and we can't discover what that work is without humbling ourselves before him and saying jesus where would you have us go next what would you have us to do where would you lead us where do you want us to follow you and ask him those same questions in your own life jesus what would you have of me today where would you have me go next where would you have me to follow you. So let's humble ourselves together.
follow Jesus' example of humility and acknowledge him as our Lord. Let's, let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you uh, for this word this morning um, from Paul uh, to the church in Philippi that is uh, so applicable to, to our lives today. Um, and we, we also uh, thank you for this, this time that we have to just uh, slowly walk through the, the Great Commission as, as we consider uh, what it is that, that you have set us to be about as a church. Uh, Lord, what that work is that, that you call us to be a part of. Uh, and Lord, would you just help us to, to gain a renewed and refreshed sense of, of vision and purpose and mission as we humble ourselves and seek to follow after Jesus. And we pray this in his strong name. And all God's people said, amen.